welcome to another episode of the Under Pressure podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a look at players, coaches, teams and whoever else may be under pressure. I'm your co-host Jake Barker and with me here as always is a Matt Ellis. How are you going today Matt? I'm going good. I've managed to get through another week of uh, actually there's actually been some sport this week which has been actually really good. Yeah, what have you been up to? What have you been watching? I've been watching the uh, Formula One Virtual Grand Prix, um, which actually was in Melbourne this week or at the Melbourne Albert Park Formula One track, which was really good. Uh, It was the first, it was um, quite exciting. Um, The first ever world champion did an esports race in Formula One for the first time with uh, Jensen Button uh, racing and... They're getting talent from all levels of um, sport with uh, the Red Bull Formula One team um, racing Ben Stokes in their team for the week, which was interesting. He wasn't very good, um, but he raced, which was good. Um, It was really interesting. Just Yeah. Yeah, go on. Go on. No, I was just going to ask where where you've been, what you've been watching it on, just so that... Uh, so that's, uh, that I've been watching on um, Facebook. They did a live stream through the Formula One Facebook page. And the V8 Supercars also did it uh, as well on KO Fox Sports. And I think I saw it on the uh, Red Bull Holden uh, Racing Team page of um, on Wednesday night. I think it was, they did a two races at Phillip Island and then they did a race at uh, the Temple of Speed at Monza in Italy. And that was, oh, wow. Um, it was great. It was, um, for those that don't know Monza, it's um, the fastest track on the uh, Formula One calendar. And it's, um, it's just got massive straights and uh, the occasional corners to get you across. It's a great track. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, it was just fun to see the V8s race on a track that they don't normally race on. And um, yeah. yeah, it was just actually good to watch some sport that I liked. And um, what sort of sport have you been? So what sport have you been watching to keep yourself busy? Um, well, just to start things off, actually, um, today I watched the, being Friday night, I watched this morning the NBA players are putting on this um, 2K tournament. For, yep. um, for charity and for to um, they're playing just NBA 2K20 and they're going through like a round robin sort of thing and um, they've got 16 NBA players and um, are they, it's been on um, ESPN2 so it's still going they're up to the semi-final stage so you can catch that on KO, Foxtel and ESPN and stuff so um, they've got the semis and the final to go so been keeping track with uh, the NBA, just out of, of, I guess. Uh, just out of curiosity, are the big names participating? Um, probably the biggest name um, most people would know would probably be Kevin Durant. Um, yep. He participated. He actually got knocked out in the first round. <laughs> he was the number one seed because he was... He is usually pretty good, but um, he got beaten by a uh, Miami Heat player, uh, Derek Jones Jr., in the first yeah. round, but um, yeah, he was probably the biggest, the biggest name player. Um, 
along with maybe Devin Booker for all those young NBA fans as well. He's still going on. He's in the semis. Um, also, continuing on with um, basketball, I've actually been watching a bit of the um, old school NBL games because they've been um, stream, um, streaming them uh, and been taking a look at like really old NBL games, the likes of um, Andrew Gaze and Leonard Copeland, Mark Bradkey, all those guys from the Tigers and stuff playing the uh, Illawarra Hawks um, in finals. And um, yeah, it's been been awesome. So mainly basketball I've been keeping track with. And that's kind of what I wanted to start talking about today as well. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, no, it's, um, it was, it's, it's been pretty good. I mean, you got to keep yourself busy and basketball is something that I enjoy. And I know that racing and um, F1s and V8s are something you enjoy. So I'm sure yep. we'll hear about that in the uh, coming episodes as well. If there's uh, yep. anyone who's under pressure in, um, in there's, the Yeah, there's, there's stuff coming. Um, I, I won't go too much into what's coming in future episodes, but there are some relatively big names that are under pressure in the uh, Formula One world, which we will talk about later on. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, I, just, um, I, want to, I love my basketball, so I wanted to take a look at um, some NBL today, actually, um, and go into, a bit of, go into depth about um, the Illawarra Hawks, who... Yeah actually went into administration i'm sure you i'm sure you heard from the league that that's happened yeah yeah it's actually been something i've been listening to quite closely during the week and following um mainly off sen but definitely something that's uh definitely piqued my interest well yeah the illawarra hawks are the um uh, foundation team actually they're they started in the league in 1979 when the NBL was first founded and um, yeah it's a bit disappointing to see that they them go into administration no one likes to see anyone go that down and in the dumps but I think the NBL is doing their best to uh, keep them up and they've got a few stakeholders some from the US some from Australia and one particular uh, one particular stakeholder who's uh with a chance to take over the reins and own the NBL side of the Illawarra Hawks is actually one of their past players, Lamelo Ball, who played for the Illawarra Hawks last season, and his manager, who was with him the whole time down here, Jermaine Jackson. They're in line for they're putting their hand up to own the team. They're up. Um, Lamelo's agent, actually Jackson, actually said that. It had been a done deal, and yeah. everyone, everyone in the media just went nuts. Like he told, he told an ESPN show that himself and Lamelo were going to be owning the Illawarra Hawks. And then, from what I can gather, all these other stakeholders are going, "Oh, what? What's happening? What's happening with this? What, what's going on here?" And everyone went crazy. And actually, the NBL commissioner Jeremy Laliga actually made a comment about it to to the public saying that a few people may have got ahead of themselves, obviously referring to Jermaine Jackson. Um, this is what he said. Um, it's worth pointing out that we've had good discussions with Mello his, and his management, as well as a local businessman in Wollongong, and they've proposed um, putting the 
consortium together, they're, they are one of many parties that we are talking to. So the deal hasn't exactly been done yet, but they are a chance to own the Illawarra Hawks. So it has, it has not been a done deal as of yet. And it's not unprecedented for um, NBL teams to have ownership in NBL franchises because I know uh, Andrew Bogut's got a ownership arrangement with the Sydney Kings. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's not an unprecedented move. It's probably the only unprecedented thing about it is this um, Lamelo's doing it at the start of his career, not the end of his career like Bogut. Yeah, exactly. So Lamelo's looking to make a bit of, well, not he's not looking to make money, but he's looking to put an investment into the Illawarra Hawks who took such good care of him. So as Jermaine Jackson told ESPN, actually, that Melo loves the Illawarra fans. He loves the community. They opened their arms wide up to him. Even though he only spent a short time here, albeit 12 games, it did feel like he was here for a lot longer um, himself. And Lamelo talked about it, talked it through, and they wanted to put him together to try and own an NBL team because they felt like they wanted to give back to the Illawarra Hawks and all that they'd done for Lamelo as well. Is it a, is it a good move for the league to be owned partly by, uh, uh, for a franchise to be partly owned by Lamelo, do you think? With most teams have the South East Melbourne Phoenix, I should say, Sorry for that. Um, the South East Melbourne Phoenix are owned by a few NBA players, Dante Exum being one of them, an Australian player. He part owns the South East Melbourne Phoenix. So I don't think it's all bad about NBA players owning NBL teams. I think it's the good investment. They want to give back to the Australian basketball community, especially guys like Dante and uh, and Lamello, who want to give back to, even though Lamello is obviously not Australian, but he wants to give back to the the country that gave him the start and the team that gave him the start and gave him a good chance of getting drafted. So I think I think it is a good good option for NBA players to do that in the future. I think there were rumours about Kevin Durant doing it. I think it was very close to him purchasing an NBL team, but. That'll probably be at a later date, I'd say, and not uh, right now because there's not enough NBL teams to go around for NBA players to purchase. Do you think this will impact uh, Lamelo's draft potential draft positioning um, going into the draft later this year? Well, I think him getting drafted per se it won't have a huge effect on him being drafted it's just about the added pressures that come with he'll have to meet with the NBL commissioners he'll have to meet with the current owners or the previous owners he'll have to meet with a whole bunch of people that he doesn't need that sort of pressure on him right before the biggest decision of his life is about to come up later on this year probably as as the draft will be pushed back, I have no doubt. But he's he's Lamelo's maintained a connection to Australia. As we all know, he donated one month of his NBL salary to help the Australian victims, bushfires in January. So I think 
he has really good ties in that in that aspect, but I don't. I'm worried about how much pressure that'll put on him before going into the NBA NBA draft. But I don't think he should be putting all that pressure on himself. I think Jackson will probably do most of the negotiation when it comes to talking about the the deal about if they get if they get ownership of the Illawarra Hawks. So I would say that because Jackson's such a big part of Lamelo's life, he'll let Lamelo focus on his NBA draft and then. Lamelo will follow with Jackson's yeah. not orders, but he'll follow in Jackson's footsteps about what to do with the franchise if it comes to that they are going to own the whole thing. And Lamelo will have less pressure on him going into the NBA draft, which is that's what I think should happen. Whether they do that or not is a very what what they do is not known so I'm hoping they do it that way so then Lamelo doesn't have all that pressure built up on him and, and I, he can just focus on what he needs to do to get drafted and worry about all the things that are about to change in his life and I know when um, I assume it's the case in the NBA but when um, AFL are drafting players they look at the character of the player and this speaks volumes to Lamello's character, not only obviously donating money to the bushfires, but now wanting to give back to the community that's given him so much and getting his career as kickstarting his um, senior career, essentially. Yeah, hundred percent. Couldn't agree more with that. He's actually grown up quite a bit in the last few years. He's um, from, from seeing him when everyone was talking about Lonzo and his dad and all that really early on when he was getting drafted by the Lakers, you could see how young of a kid he was and just, he hasn't, hadn't really matured. When he came over to the NBL, he actually, he looked like a mature kid and had a good head on his shoulders and someone got him into line about, this is serious. You're going to, I mean, he obviously knew it was serious, but his mental state needed to be right to be able to go into the NBA and be able to deal with all the media and all the players and different plays, coaches, like a lot, a lot of stuff was going to change for him. So I think he's, he's put a good head on his shoulders now. He's grown up a bit. And I think that's going to um, go, do him well in the future years to come, I think. This might sound a bit um, harsh, but he's probably grown up more than, or is more mature than both his brother and his father probably. Like if looking yeah, well, at his moves that he's done recently and whatnot, he definitely is acting the most mature ball going around at the moment. Well, yeah, I would say so. I would say Lonzo's probably still still quite mature as he's uh, playing for the Pelicans now. He's moved on from the Lakers. Less of less of the spotlight on him. Um, he's probably actually grown up more than his middle brother the second oldest, Leangelo, who left UCLA after he allegedly stole something in China and then he got kicked from his um, scholarship from, for UCLA and all that, all that jazz. But I don't want to get too, too deep into that. But I'd say he's definitely grown up a lot more than Leangelo has in a shorter period of time. And yeah. NBL's, playing, NBL's playing against men as well and he's just growing up so fast. The other question I have sort of with the ownership, um, in the perfect world, what would be the best thing for the MBL here as far as ownership? Would it be 
uh, getting investment from the states, uh, from America? Would it be getting a relationship tie up with an NBA club similar to um, what the uh, Manchester uh, similar to what uh, Manchester City have done with? Um, oh yeah, yeah, um, of course, Melbourne yeah. City the A League. League. Yeah, I'm, I'm, for example, could it be the Illawarra Lakers or the Illawarra Knicks? I'm just or the self Illawarra. I, I know, I know, I know. You're just spitballing there. I know it was hard, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I don't mind the idea. I don't know how far it is going to go. I don't think it would have to be a whole basketball club decision if you were to do it that way. It'd have to be the full company of let's say. You, you said Lakers then. Yep. The full company of the Lakers taking over the full company of the Illawarra Hawks, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? It's not just yeah. how the South East Melbourne Phoenix, they have a lot of part owners and Dante Exum is a part owner of that and he's only one player in the NBA. So I think that I don't mind. NBL, NBA players, I should say, owning NBL teams, I don't mind that. I think that's really good. I think they can bring a lot into the NBL because so, they'll have a lot of knowledge from what they're doing in the NBA to then bring to the NBL. And they can always ask their executives in their NBA teams about what they do and they can, they can just pass that knowledge down and it all flow through into the NBL. With, with your um, Manchester City and... Melbourne City... Melbourne City, sorry, I said a blank then. I think less that, more one player owning. I don't think the Lakers or any team would want to own an NBL team. I don't think it's going to go as far as that. I think the NBA will stick to the NBA and the NBA will stick to the NBL and they might have part owners and ownership of different teams as obviously yeah. the NBA is worth a lot more money than the NBL and people in the, within the NBA could own the NBL as, as, yeah. you've, as you've seen with all these different players owning teams. So, which is, I'm not too surprised actually with Lamelo and his um, manager putting their hand up to own a team. I wasn't, I mean, it is surprised that he wants to own his team that he played for, but I can see why he wants to do it. And, what what he's going to gain from that is a lot and he can build a legacy there as well as his legacy in the NBA as well so I think it's a really good really good match for Lamelo and a really good idea for him to start early the world's changed the world's forever changing and if people get on this bandwagon then it might happen in future years and it could mean that we have more NBL teams in the future more NBA players willing to get together and work out a team that they can put into the Australian competition or something like that. And they'll find a lot of, a lot of people who will want to be a part of that and want to be a part of owning an NBL team. So I think Lamelo's the beginning of what could happen in the future for the NBL and the NBA as becoming one, essentially. Yeah. So and, I think it's getting really... money from more investor, more investors um, is probably the one thing that, the NBA need to to look at because um, I know Larry Kesselman does own a couple or does have stakes in quite a few NBL teams. It would be good to get a diversified sort of investment from the greater basketball community. 
Yeah, completely agree. And I think with, yeah, with that, I think that'd be a really, a really great idea. And I think that everyone in Australia would love to see a huge NBL league as well. And that would be amazing and awesome that we could have a league similar to the NBA in the future, maybe getting, I know it's not going to happen anytime soon, but like getting up to 16 teams would be amazing in the NBL. So if we can get to that point, that that's a huge boost for the competition and Australian basketball, and it's only offers up more opportunities. The Tassie team is the Tassie team is coming. That's it. Tassie team is coming. So I'm very excited about that as well. I might tangent quickly to that as well. I think that that's a that's a great addition for the NBL. I don't know how long since it's been that we've had a team from Tasmania, but I think it's a fantastic initiative that the NBL are brought on. I don't think it's going to be for next season. It's going to be for the season after that. So it's actually not too far away when you think about it. We've just finished this one and it'll be very soon. It'll be quicker than you know it. However, I wouldn't be surprised if I, if that gets delayed by you, given the current world climate is just my, my one thought. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I can, I could see that happening. I don't think, I don't think the season will be too far off. Mainly, mainly from a state government financial investment point would be the reason I'd see for the delay. Yeah, that may that may affect it a little bit. I would say, yeah, but I don't. It hasn't affected the NBL season too much, besides cutting off the end of the NBL Grand Final series, which is a bit yeah. controversial. There, awarding Perth Wildcats the championship after only three games, but and the Sydney Kings finished on top, but apparently yeah. the Sydney Kings wanted to end the series anyway due to the the virus which we won't get into because yeah, we don't want to talk was, about that yeah it was but a tough call think, given think, given the yeah, international great. players and whatnot it was ultimately the right but harsh hard call yeah it was a call that i think was the right one in the end even though i don't i'm not a big fan of perth but <laughs> i don't wanna, i don't want to get that too far out but I think that was the right decision in the end because, as you said, all the import players had to get back home and um, yeah. be with loved ones and things like that. So I think the right decision was made with uh, ending the league there in at because of the current climate, I guess. Yeah. So changing the um, theme of the topic of conversation, the one thing that I have enjoyed with the no sport period is we're hearing a lot of stories from passporting events where things were happening on in the background that we weren't obviously brought into. We didn't know some things were happening. And the one that caught my eye the most was um, Michael Clark. Um, just a oh, short, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just a short little article that I saw during the week about him dealing with pressure, which I, which been an under pressure podcast I actually thought was really good. And it, it talks about um, just prior to the match where he made a brilliant 329 runs at Sid in Sydney. Um, oh, great innings. Great. Oh, great. <laughs> Such innings. a great innings. Don't want to get too far uh, out of that, but that was, that was one for the ages that. Yeah. Um, the one thing that came up was the coach of the time, Mickey Arthur, um, sort of called Clark aside and sort of had a chat. And these two were very close as a coach and captain that 
partnership um, as we learnt later on and later on, um, particularly uh, when Mickey Arthur got sacked, there was obviously uh, quite a bit of um, love for Mickey Arthur from Clarkey. But just going back to the what um, um, Mickey Arthur did for Clarkey, he sort of pulled him inside and said, I've got an email from the, the chairman of the selectors. And he read it to me and it, it pretty much said, if you don't score runs um, this um, in this, in, uh, this match, um, they're going to look at perhaps dropping the Australian captain from the team, which... That doesn't seem like a great thing to tell your captain. And I just, it doesn't make too much sense to, to give him that knowledge before going out for an innings for Australia. You'd want to put as less pressure on him as possible. I don't think that was a yeah. very smart move. Yeah, and obviously Mickey Arthur sort of told him, just sort of told him as a, hey, this is what the selectors are currently thinking. We don't know what Mickey's Arthur, Mickey Arthur's thoughts of if he agreed with it or not, but Clark said um, it was fire in my belly and it ultimately motivated him to probably his second most important innings of his life. Um, well, yeah, with yeah. the pressure that was put on with him. Yeah, um, I, I put the Phil Hughes uh, innings, innings in Adelaide as Clark's best and most important um, uh, number one innings, but this is another great hundred. Um, I just remember him batting and batting and batting with no stickers on his bat because he was looking for a sponsor at the time. And That's right. It was a no-name bat, wasn't it? Yeah. It was just a piece of wood that he brought out with him and he didn't had no... Yeah, he had no stickers. That's right. I forgot it, about it that. Was, that, was, it, that was fantastic. It, it was a great knock and it was just... It was a def- I think it was the moment that a lot of Australians and myself included in this went, actually, Clark is not actually a bad captain here. He is the yeah. man to lead. There was a lot of, oh, we don't want Clark to captain the side. Um, not that there was really an obvious solution to who would captain. And I think back, who would have captained the side if they did drop him? It may have been a Matthew Wade or a Brad Haddon. Um, I'm not sure who the wicketkeeper was at the time, but they were probably the the best leaders we had available. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I think you're had, right. I think it was Brad Haddon. Because I think it was um, a little bit too late uh, late for Mr. Cricket. Um, with yeah, us definitely. very much in the twilight of the career. So personally, I I. Looking from the media, I can't remember Clarky being under that under huge amounts of pressure. But I think I I remember going to school straight after to that innings at the end of the holidays, and it was a tale of two captains. And it was Clarky's innings against the Italian um, cruise ship captain that um, failed in the, um, looking after his cruise ship when it um, obviously hit disaster. And yeah. Clark dealt with the pressure of being a captain superbly in that. And I think he he got the entire country on his side and showed us actually he is the leader to lead us forward. And it's a moment that I think hearing this now just really echoes what a superb knock 
and a super knock that was and what a superb cricketer uh, Clarkie was. So it was just one of those good stories that I read during the week about the, um, the just because there's no sport, probably the best sporting story I read during the week. And it was just good to get further insight into the Australian cricket team. Yeah, completely agree. I think it is it is an underrated position, I think, with being the Australian captain. You don't think it's a whole lot of pressure, but as you saw from South the Africa. test that's on Amazon Prime. No, the Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. Which we might get into in a, in a further episode. But as you saw on there, the, with Tim Payne going through all that stuff post the sandpaper incident, the pressures on the Australian captain are quite big. And to take on all that and just to think that Clark was actually told to his face that after this test, you're done. If you don't make runs, you are done. We are going to drop you. And it's going to be the biggest Australian sporting story from a cricket aspect. I Maybe that there's ever been. I can't just thinking of all the players that got it got dropped. I can't think of a bigger dropping that would have happened in the last ten years of Australian cricket, especially as a captain as well. Like, yeah, you you just don't see that. And Clark just gritted his teeth and just said, "Nah, didn't want to be a part of it. Wanted to, as you said, show that he's the guy that can lead them in the right direction." And man, did he do that with that three hundred twenty nine? And not and the, out as well, I might add. He was not own, out. Yeah. And the only, um, just off the top of my head, the only player being dropped from any side in world cricket that even equals any sort of parallels would be uh, Kevin Peterson being dropped from the English team. Yeah, definitely. That would, be the, that would be the only one that's comparable. And that's, you're talking about a legend of the game. A World Cup winning captain, Ashes, five zip winning captain. He's got one of the best cricket resumes going round. Yeah, it's a beggar's belief to think that the selectors were considering dropping him when there was no other real captaincy material in Australia at the time. If there was a someone knocking the door down as a future skipper, that may have been a different conversation, but there was no one. Yeah, exactly right. There was no one else there really to take the reins. No one was ready per se to, to take that on. So him performing at that time was really important to Australian cricket in the end. They may not have known what they were going to do prior to that if he had failed. Yeah. So it, it didn't leave a shining light on who was actually going to do the job because Clark performed thank god so they were able to move forward with him but god knows what would have happened if they just went nut you're out what would they have done like it just it, it's interesting to it's interesting to think about that now and what they would have done with the team if they dropped him i would have said you're probably right someone like a, a brad haddon who was probably in the team at that point yeah brad, brad haddon was the keeper and they may have had to have thrown mike hussey into it even though being a little bit older, he's still an older head. And as we all know, his name, Mr. Cricket, says everything. So he, they, he may, they, may have th- they may have thrown that to him you know, in a time of desperate measure, kind of like how they've thrown it to Tim Payne at the moment. And 
I think people, when you look back at that innings, you forget that he came in at three for 37. Batting yeah, with they ended up. Ricky Ponting at the time, who hadn't scored a run in ages, who also went on to make 100. And then Mike Hussey came in. Mike Hussey then made 100 as, as well. It was, like, you look at that team, it was Warner, Cowan, Sean Marsh, Ponting, Clark, Hussey, Haddon, Siddle, Pattinson, Hilfen House, and um, uh, Nathan Mine. So there was no obvious captain for um, no. It wasn't as if it was four years earlier where Clarkey was the heir apparent captain and Ricky Ponting was there. It wasn't the situation. So I still do not get why the selectors would think that. It, it was an interesting time and just glad that we glad we got through it, even though we didn't really know about it. But thank God we actually... Not asked, but thank God yeah. uh, Clarky went through and made that innings. Otherwise, we don't know what we would have been talking about now. It would have been interesting. Interesting. And it's been it's been really good in this last week to be hearing these sort of stories where you hear Clarky also say that um, the Australian players kept quiet and didn't sledge uh, Virat Kohli. It's a very interesting time, and I'm I'm looking forward to some other stories coming out over the the next few weeks. Yeah, definitely. I think with everything going on at the moment, there's going to be a few few people speak up, I reckon, just because there's not a lot of stories out there at the moment, obviously, because people get stories from games of sport and there's not many games of sport happening right now. So I think we might come across a lot of different stories that have happened in previous years that we may not know of. So it could be a very interesting time for some old stories to come ahead and it'd be really good for people like us to read and, and talk about as well because it... it you just you just don't know what's going to be out there and what's going to come out from the past players of any sport, really. Yeah. We've obviously got the Dean Jones stuff that's come out as well this week, which is fascinating, would be the um, understatement. But uh, a really interesting time. And But I think that's almost all we've got time for tonight um, on the Under Pressure podcast. Yeah, just thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Uh, don't forget to check out our uh, where you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts as well. Um, we're looking to get it on the on, on Android as well. So I think that's Google, Google Podcasts and also we might try and get it onto Spotify as a bit of a as a as a shared platform as well. So as as Matt said, thanks for tuning in to the Under Pressure podcast and we'll hopefully see you again in the near future. Catch you later.